Marty Southern Reserve Coleman. And from West Orange, New Jersey, it's Casey the Beef Cregan. I'm Parker Coleman, and it's time for the show you've been waiting for a week, Sluggo. Well, Parker Coleman did not tell the truth. Casey is <laughs> not in West Orange, New Jersey. You know, Casey, I, if I'd have thought about it, having record a new opening tonight, because he he and I just recorded the special edition of the Sluggo podcast. You know, I, I think secretly I, I had hoped that he, he did, you know, like on some of those shows on the, on the radio stations you hear when, when someone's filling in, you know, but I, no one's filling in for me. I'm just in a different state, you know, jumped, jumped right out of the frying pan into the fryer here with this COVID nonsense. But, yeah, I'm back on the shores of the Calabogie Sound. Calabogie uh, Sound. Picking up the wife and kids, basically, uh, working this week, but picking them up and going to drive them back uh, on Saturday. So, flew down and driving back. Oh, man. Sorry to hear that driving yeah. back part. I love it. I love it. I'm a warrior on the roads, a.k.a. road warrior. Well, I love to drive, too, or I did at one time, probably when I was about your age. One day, um, I, uh, when I lived in Austin, I decided uh, I got out of the military I decided to take a road trip that day from Austin, Texas, and I went down to the border and went across, got some gas in a little town outside of El Paso, which is a story in itself, and um, by 9 o'clock that night, I was in New Mexico, <laughs> wow. calling my brother from a payphone. This is how long ago this was, right? Called my brother from a payphone saying, hey, guess where I'm at? I'm in Alamogordo, New Mexico. It was about a 600-mile trip, you know, just decided to take a road trip one day back in just those because. days. Just yeah. because. Why not? You could do that back in those days. Hey, <laughs> You know, we're only on our eighth show here, but we got some pretty loyal listeners that I wanted to give a shout out to lo- listeners, viewers. Um, Holly Haley Vasquez. I, Holly Haley, tell me how to say your name. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I looked through Parker's yearbook the other day, and there were so many names and pronunciations. I'm like, I'm old, and I don't know how to say your name. But thank you, Holly Haley, very much. You're usually the first one to like our our uh, show. So we appreciate that. Kevron Harris, Sean Flood, Adger Turner, and Aaron Kahn. Thank you guys all very much for the likes. Um, you can do that again this week. It will not hurt our feelings, will it, Beef? Not even a little bit. We appreciate the patronage and the loyalty and all that, and we hope to keep this thing interesting and, and fun. Sorry, I said it. Um, but we, but that's the point of it, and and God willing, I think we're going to break some news here. It's not necessarily breaking, but we're gonna we're gonna break some news for our show. And I think uh, we're we're a little bit. I'm a little excited because it means that there is probably going to be some football going on this season, which means we're going to have the show, and we're going to have a lot of fun things to talk about and from all over the country. So yeah, usually excited. usually the news breaks like five minutes after we finish, and we're like, oh man, <laughs> come on. But speaking of uh, news, we have a Facebook group that we talked about last week, and we've added about 85 members this week. We're up to 635-ish or so, oh. 85 or 90 members. So it's moving quite along. There's quite a bit of activity. I checked it out a few minutes before I jumped on here with the beef. And uh, lots of information there, and some of that information we're going to talk about in just a minute. Um, and – I wanted to take a second to uh, talk about our good friend Turgy at the Pit Boss, the Pit Boss Sauce Company. Um, he had a big announcement, and he's been doing this mostly at home, uh, making that fine sauce that we've both had and are looking forward to again. I feel like a little kid. You know, you know remember when you're a kid and you waited for the mail every day um, before Bill started coming with your name on it, right? You waited for the mail and you're so excited. I, I'm keep waiting for that sauce Terzies, uh said he's going to put in the mail, but have to understand the man is, is um, moving into a facility. He is trying to build a website. Terzi, our sauce can wait not too long, but it can wait. Get your business going. And we're here to help you, man. The pit boss sauce company on Facebook. I was really excited to see his, uh, his his breaking news on Friday, I believe it was. I logged in. It was a little choppy for me. I think it was my my internet, but I got the gist of it. And we appreciate the partnership that uh, that he and, and us have. And, and we wish him nothing but the best. And we'd love to send people to him because, trust me, this sauce is legit. And uh, I've only tried one. So 
I'm excited to get the next one whenever it comes. Like I said, like you said, he's got things going on. He's got irons in the fire. So we can be on the back burner for a little bit. Um, but <laughs> if I have to buy some first, I'll do it. But uh, excited for his, his future and uh, excited for his philanthropic um, oh, yeah. ventures as well. He's planning to give some back. So it's awesome. He's really, really good guy. Really, really good sauce. Excited to be uh, partnered up with him. Yeah, that's how it all works, right? Uh, we mentioned his sauce. He sends us some sauce. He's helping somebody else out. Just kind of, you know, pay it forward. The world goes round and round. But there is a Blacks Barbecue in Lockhart that I like to go to. Terzi, I'm I'm taking your sauce around the state <laughs> of Texas. You've been you've been to uh, you've been to Kyle, Texas. We've uh, taken you out to Driftwood, and now we're going to Lockhart, which are the barbecue, two of the biggest barbecue places in the state of Texas. Hey, Beef, sports are back. Cool. I am very happy about that, to watch baseball. But the thing that even makes me happier than sports being back in general is what it's meant to my boy. He's moped around here since March for the most part, and I've done what I could, but, you know, I'm – a little bit old to be um, uh, doing much physically with a 13-year-old, though we still throw the ball around the yard on occasion. And I shoot some hoops with him, though. He doesn't like that very much. But if you could have seen his uh, – just the, this, the pep in his step when the Astros came on the other day, it was a whole different kid. You know, he's bout, walking, bouncing you know, talking up, down, talking to his mom, telling mom what's happening in the game, him and I are watching back and forth. Me and him are looking at baseball stats from 10 years ago. You know, he's a whole different kid when sports are back. So as I said in a long uh, podcast that I did by myself, it seemed long, it was about 10 minutes, is don't tell me sports don't matter because they matter, they matter, to my boy and a lot of boys and girls across the country. So sports are back. When you told me that too, about Parker bouncing up and down and just being so excited, it's kind of a metaphor for my life too, because uh, when sports are on, I feel like a 13 year old kid because nothing else matters. You know, you have your teams, you have your loyalties. Uh, I'm not a Giants fan, but I do have a Wayne Gallman shirt on tonight. Um, but you have your loyalties, you have your people that you root for, and, and everything else, all the problems in the world kind of goes away, for, for lack of a better cliche, and, and it's just fun. So having baseball back, it's fantastic. I happen to be a big hockey fan, a kid from the Northeast. That's what we have here. That, that's coming back tonight, uh, which is Wednesday night, with the season officially restarting on, on the 1st. Man, it's just it's chock full of fun stuff. I'm trying to get out of here early on Saturday so I can get back for the Ranger game on uh, on Saturday night. So it's awesome. So it is having Parker like that. It's like a metaphor for life, man. It, it, I am the 13 year old. I am Parker. Uh, <laughs> he and I have had more, and I'm going to call it quality conversation. Look, we're not splitting the atom, and I'm not you know teaching him how to treat women, which I try and do every day, but he and I have had more substantive conversations since baseball came back than we've had since March. Right. Because he's been, as I said, a little down, not much to do. Can't see his friends. Can't see anybody, you know, sitting in his room with his two old parents trying to figure out, you know, what is this like everybody else, but he's only 13. But when soon as those Astros came on, Hey, we're sitting there. He's looking at the iPad. I'm looking at my phone. We're going through baseball stats and baseball references. What happened in 1962? And when did this guy do that? <laughs> so many great, great conversations. And one of the crazy things about the Astros is not a baseball podcast, but I think you, you probably find this funny because it happened to the Astros, right? We look up. I, our favorite road trip last year was to Corpus Christi. We went to see Seth Beer. And in that game, we have. We ran across Zach Irwin. It was on the other team, right, on the other side. And they actually faced each other late in the game. But we look up at the Astros last night. Half of Corpus Christi is playing in Houston. There's six guys that were in double-A last year. The Astros in the first five games have set a record for debuts. They've had eight. They got a guy pitching last night, and now the one starting today, single-A last year, pitching wow. for the Houston Astros. Wow, that's incredible. And it's not like they're pitching for the Marlins or somebody that's having exactly. a down year. 
pitching for a team that perennially competes recently and has built the right way, cheating notwithstanding. But will uh, they have you know in the last ten years, what, five years, I guess they've really built everybody Altuve, Correa, all coming through the system. It's it, there to have these guys play, and I know double A to to the league is kind of the jump that everyone makes, but. That's, we we could go on the baseball podcast, me and Parker and you and whoever. He can do the history stuff, but I'll tell you, uh, I, I do love the college baseball, the pro baseball. It's awesome. It's just so happy. It's just so fun to be back. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm well, like, and that, my that's, actually, dancing. that's actually my point is that these are things we talked about during the game because sports were on. If sports weren't on, we wouldn't be talking about that. But sports matter. As I said in that podcast, sports matter. At least they do to this father and son. All right, Beef, let's get on. Let's get on with it. Big announcement prior to uh, us going live here. The ACC has decided what they're going to do and when they're going to do it, theoretically, as someone pointed out. Uh, <laughs> it said, hey, this isn't a sure thing. Hey, it's 2020. Nothing is a sure thing, right? Not, not a thing. Right. I, I could walk out of here after we finish this podcast and something totally different be out there. But I didn't know how you want to do this, how you wanted to run it down. Did you want to go through a list or did you want to uh, do one at a time? But I kind of found the interesting thing starting uh, around D and E in this, in this list. And, but let's, let's, let me walk through this for a little bit for you. The season's first games will take place the week of September 7th through 12th. So that's a little bit later than, than originally scheduled, but not, not bad at all. The 2020 scheduling model includes 11 games, 10 plus, uh, 10 plus one, 10 conference games and, and one non-conference. All non-conference game opponents selected by the respective school must be played in the home state of the ACC institution. I found this really interesting. I mean, what is like Boston College? They're going to play, what, MIT or, you know, what? <laughs> I'm just, you know, hmm, Okay. Uh, UMass. That's it. That's it. Yeah. UMass. That's the only option. And that's and that's a W. That's probably something better than they usually play in non-conference, though, for the most part. Um, <laughs> the eleven games will be played over thirteen weeks. Each team will have two open dates, at least two open dates. And this is where it gets good, folks. There will be one division. Now, let's talk about this. Yay! That's my reaction. What's your reaction? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this just the ACC championship game could could be um, once again theoretically Clemson versus Louisville. Is somebody that you play in the regular season that may have a better record than who's what what they're dishing out on the coastal side, but you're able to play it now. So it's going to be the two best teams in the conference, which is awesome. I love it, and that's the way it should be in my mind, right? Um, You know, you shouldn't have a five and three team from the other division if or four and four in, <laughs> in the ACC uh, playing Clemson. If you have, you know, a nine and three or 10 and two team that, you know, got to look on the bright side. And to me, that's really, really a bright side about oh, yeah. this, this terrible time we're going through. Uh, also very interesting. Notre Dame will play a 10 game conference schedule and be eligible to compete in the 2020 ACC football championship game. I am torn on this because I obviously recognize what Notre Dame and the Notre Dame name means, you know, despite what Clemson fans and ACC fans want to say, it means something, right? It brings eyeballs and attention to the conference. I don't, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like that theoretically they could walk away with the ACC championship and not even be in the ACC technically, but it adds something to it. And, Clemson and Notre Dame could play twice this year. It does add a little legitimacy to the to the conference schedule too, and uh, strength of schedule anyway. You know that's one big thing from our friends in the SEC like to make sure that they tell us every year that uh, the ACC conference is down. But having Notre Dame, it's it's going to be a top ten team. They got Ian Book back. They they are going to be solid top to bottom. Are they a top ten? Yeah, I think they definitely are. So now you're bringing a top ten team into the ACC to play 10 games, the best part, I know we're probably going to get to it, I don't mean to jump the gun, is that they're sharing the revenue from their NBC TV contract. Yes. That's huge. That, I mean, that's that right there kind of almost put elevates the ACC into what the SEC has. With that money, 
So we're going to have more money to spend at Clemson. This is, this is fantastic. Um, but on the Notre Dame thing, I'm not a fan. I grew up in New Jersey where you're either a Notre Dame fan or a Penn State fan or a Syracuse fan. I grew up a Miami fan, a big, big Manny Diaz fan as a nine-year-old. Oh, no, 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 not Manny Diaz. <laughs> but a uh, big Miami fan. So I hated Notre Dame from the time that I grew up because most people in New Jersey know someone who knows someone who knows someone who knew someone that went there. Like, that's how they became a Notre Dame fan. So uh, I'm not a Notre Dame fan. I kind of hate them with the white-hot intensity of a thousand suns. But it's nice for the conference. So you had the choice. You could be a Catholic or a convict, and you chose convict. (laughs) Which is ironic because I grew up Catholic, went to Catholic school, and I was definitely the convict of all. Yeah, Yeah, I'm not a Notre Dame fan, uh, but – I recognize what they can do for the ACC and the cachet they bring to uh, to the conference, at least in part. I just, I guess, what I wish is, you know, get off my lawn. I want you in the conference or out. <laughs> I want you in or out, right? But given the circumstances of this year, I'll take it. Yeah, I think it's great too, and and I'm I think I'm in the minority when I say I want Notre Dame in a conference. I don't I, I don't care what they're doing. I really don't because I just don't th- I don't think the relevancy is there anymore from where they were in the '90s. And maybe that's going out on a limb. I know they're competitive. They're definitely a top ten, top fifteen caliber perennially team. Absolutely, give them their due, no doubt. Are they a top four team? I truly don't believe it. Were they worthy of it when they played a couple of years ago? I thought so. In my opinion, I thought they were because who else was there? However, they don't play in a conference. They don't play a a conference championship game, but they play a tough schedule on paper every year. They're playing Big Ten teams. They're playing six ACC teams, usually the upper echelon of it. I I don't have – and then the Pac-12 USC, who's perennially good. They've been down the last couple years. So so I don't have any problem with them, and I've softened my stance on them anyway about my hatred of them But uh, as I've gotten older and softer. But – I think it's great for us this year, and I say us, meaning a, a fan of a team in the ACC conference, uh, to do it. Why not? I think it's worthwhile, and, and that whole sticking point of the money thing, they signed off on it. It's great, but I don't care if they're in the ACC going forward. I don't mind if they're a men's soccer team, basketball team, whatever. I, I don't care if their football team's in the ACC or not. The, the thing that it kind of strikes me as, I don't want to say desperation. That might be too um, strong of a word for Notre Dame. But did you ever think Notre Dame was going to give up money? I mean, no. to, to, to be a part of the ACC, they were probably desperate. They realized they looked around and say, nobody's playing independence, non-conference games. What are we going to do? And so, you know, Notre Dame is in a position because of COVID, obviously, where they had to give up their TV money for the home games. That's just, that is just a capper for – crazy first seven months of 2020 (laughs) it kind of makes sense right i mean nothing surprises us anymore in 2020 i think i think notre dame going there is is the capper is the cherry on top Uh, but you're right what are what was their option their option was and the acc probably just said this is what we are doing if you want to join us you know it's swafford's john swafford the acc commissioner's last last stand so Hey, this is what we want if you want to come play with us. Or you can play Liberty three times a year and New Mexico State two times. You know, what are they going to do? BYU. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they were looking, they were looking face to face with Liberty, New Mexico State. I think UMass isn't in a conference either. And, and, uh, and BYU two times each, a home and home with each. Come on now. Well, you know what? If that's the case, I don't think the ACC got enough. They should <laughs> ask for ask for a couple of million on top of the TV money. Be like be like a gangster, John Swafford. If you're still in the office, you're probably you're probably uh, not even in the office anymore. He's done. He's done. <laughs> hey, the ACC championship game will be December 12th or 19th. So nice little week before Christmas, maybe. Um, and again, it's the top two teams. No matter you know, there's only one division, so. Uh, that's exciting to me. Um, <laughs> I didn't think of a word there. That's exciting. I thought you were going with the I word. I thought uh, you were going to go. I was close, man. I can't afford the I word. Uh, my kids got to go to college in a few years, supposedly. <laughs> um, that's exciting to me uh, that 
the two, at least the two teams with the best record are going to be in the in the ACC championship game, either December twelfth or nineteenth. That's fantastic. It, it is. That's probably the most excitable part uh, for me. I guess exciting part for me is that there's it's, there's no grid anymore. There's no tiebreak. I mean, there's probably maybe a tiebreaker coming in who's playing who because we're missing some. You're only playing ten games. You're not playing fourteen, fifteen, whatever it is to play everybody. But it's awesome, man. It's it's great. There's going to be no arguments. It's going to be the top two teams. You're not going to say, oh, well, we were nine and two in the Atlantic, but we finished behind eleven and zero Clemson, and four and three Pittsburgh is playing for the championship. That you're not getting that this year. You're getting number one versus number two. But but where you are getting, I don't know if you saw the fine print. It's going to be based on the winning percentage, right? Because they're expecting somebody to have 12 games and somebody to have eight. And we were, you know, we were nine and oh, we were nine and one, and you only played six games, but you're six and oh. And so there's going to be arguments. I mean, sports. Ah, What what is sports without arguments, right? (laughs) Um, So there could be arguments, there likely will be. But I did notice that it said based on winning percentage. Oh, that's terrible. I mean, I know we're seeing it right now in Major League Baseball with the Marlins where they're missing games because of an outbreak. And I know it's we're not – my wife even tonight was saying something about this bubble in Rutgers. I, I think we may have touched on it later. They had 15 players on campus party, a.k.a. a bubble. You know, someone probably came from outside and, and infected, infected some of those guys. There's going to be something – like that happening and that stinks that we're going to go with three and oh louisville team <laughs> and a 10 and oh yeah and then one uh whoever wake forest and they're going to be playing <laughs> clemson is clemson is playing one and oh wake forest in the ACC championship. <laughs> 10 and one florida state has been eliminated right i mean exactly i hate that fine print stuff yeah. The thing about Rutgers is, I mean, let's face it, this it's gonna happen, right? I mean, what is a what is a party of football players with only football players? I mean, you know, that's no fun. Somebody from the outside's gotta be there. And unless, yeah. you know, unless they got <laughs> unless they got females on the football team at Rutgers, um, you know, I mean I don't know. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in MLB. I don't know if we're expecting Marlins level happening in MLB, but to think that it wouldn't happen somewhere, you know, I heard the, the NBA actually has, has the, the, uh, the right thought or right system or right um, protocols in place. They're all kind of in their own bubble. That's not going to happen. It's not happening in MLB because they're traveling. It's not going to happen in college football. Because they're traveling. For sure. Yep, the NHL the same way. The NHL had 928 tests, no, no uh, viruses. They're in two cities, but when they come together to the one city, when it gets down to it, are, are they going to run into problems? I mean, I guess it's a wait and see, obviously, but we don't know. We don't know. This thing sucks. Yeah, we don't, we don't know. We don't know if we'll ever know. And that, that's the sad part, that we don't know if it'll ever, uh, ever be the same. Um, you know, people keep talking about, well, let's, let's – just cancel it for this year, but who knows? You know, maybe next year, maybe five years may never be the same, which is really a sad thought. So let's move on to something a little more exciting and a little more fun, at least this week. Last week wasn't so good for Clemson uh, on the recruiting trail, but this week, Mac Brown's fence is a little weak because the fourth out of the top fifth North Carolina ranked recruit, uh, well, He's not the fourth to go to Clemson. I phrased that really bad. Uh, <laughs> he's the fourth to not go to North Carolina. Peyton Page, four star, or is he five star? I've seen. Both. It depends on it depends on what recruiting service you're looking at. I saw him arrivals. He was the thirtieth ranked player in the nation. That really, that's what I care about more than whether he's four or five because he's right on the edge either way. So Peyton Page, defensive lineman in the mold of Big Dex Lawrence commits to the Tigers last night. What do you know about Mr. Page? Oh, man, I think I said it a couple of weeks ago, but I really liked him, and, and uh, I'm not going to use the hip swivel word again because he's a defensive lineman, but he uses his low pad level. Uh, 
the things that I read about him yesterday and today say that it, you'd probably be doing him a disservice by trying to compare him to Dexter Lawrence because he's not quite as big. Well, who is? Dexter Lawrence is like 6'8", 345 at, as a sophomore in high school. He was just a beast. I remember walking by him at a Clemson baseball game, this little baby face and a high, high-pitched voice saying hello to me. And it was like, no, man, you what you could eat me. But um, Pey- Peyton Page looks like, you know, they're, they're saying he's raw is what I was trying to say short-windedly. Um, in, in the aspect that he's not quite where Dexter Lawrence was coming out. He's not quite that fifth star guy that, that five, nine that rivals or six Oh has, but he's more in the light of a Grady Jarrett. Not the fact that Grady was a two star. They're saying more Grady Jarrett as a junior at Clemson. Yes, he was an all American, a star. Um, but as far as just being low to the ground, really using, he's going to be a space eater. He's going to be able to, who are they going to double team? They got Demonte Capehart on one side. They got Brian Breezy on the other side, and then they're going to have linebackers. That's what they. That's what really stuck out to me about uh, the analysis to Page is that he's going to be one of those guys that's going to make linebackers look good. Linebackers that don't necessarily maybe aren't necessarily the highly touted ones because he's going to take on a center and a guard and leave a linebacker one on one with a running back or a quarterback. So it's exactly what we like to see with the Brent Venables offense who loves to blitz the linebackers. You're going to have a kid up front that's going to eat space. Uh, and it's awesome. It was a really good get. As I thought it was a necessary get with the losses that they've had, uh, the decommitments that they've had the last couple of days. And I think he's going to be he's going to be a good one. And like I said, I don't know. He's 17, 18 years old, but he looks like a man. Uh, he plays like a man on the short film that I watched. Uh, low pads. I love him. I, I love him. I'm a big fan. I was so excited I hit my <laughs> Hey, well, like I said, the 30th ranked player in rivals, uh, you know, that's pretty good. I don't care, fourth, fifth star, whatever. Stars stars do mean something, but he's right on the cusp. If he's not a five star, we'll call him a five star light. I hate to call a guy that big light, but uh, he's a light five star. Uh, so Dabo took another one from Mac Brown. Now, I have been critical of, not critical, well, yes, critical of the hype surrounding Mac's recruiting class. As I mentioned, he, you know, building a fence around North Carolina, but four of the top five recruits in the state have gone to other schools besides North Carolina. Um, But in Mac's defense, he signed some really good players. He has 10 of the top 18 in North Carolina. So I want to be fair in my analysis. Now, I know Clemson didn't recruit, at least according to rivals, a lot of those guys signed by Mac. But the fact is Mac has 10 of the top 18 in the state of North Carolina. Pretty darn good. He's doing a lot better than than past regimes there. There's no question. And it hasn't been this good recruiting-wise since he was there last. So, yes, we may be critical of him not getting the top five kids from the from – the, or four of the top five kids from the state – but he's getting who he wants, who he needs, for the most part, who he wants. They wanted Paige. Uh, and something I read said that they were making a really late push almost up until that 6 o'clock announcement time yesterday to kind of keep him home. Uh, it's tough for, for Clemson or anybody to go into the triad, that North, that Raleigh, Winston-Salem, and Chapel Hill area and pull a kid. But they did, again. Uh, from up there so that's a big get and, and but Mac is doing great sorry I, I almost brought that back to Clemson but Mac's doing a really nice job and and they need something and I said it a couple weeks ago the ACC needs something they need something to talk about with another team from the conference and I think that uh, with this recruiting numbers and, and the hype that he's getting from rivals in 24-7 and whoever else is out there uh, is scout still out there I don't even know um, so. that it's that it's it's worthy he's worthy of, of the hype and the talk well, and they've got a quarterback. I mean, you know, that's what drives things today, right, uh, is a quarterback who can spin the ball and Sam Howell can do that, at least if he repeats or improves on his freshman season. Now, I've been waiting all show to talk about this next guy, and you let me know this. I wasn't even aware. I don't know how it slipped my mind because I wake up every day wanting to talk about Manny Diaz and what a great job he's doing <laughs> in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell me a little bit about Miami, what they're doing on the recruiting trail. 
Well, they, another thing per rivals, I, I spend a lot of time on rivals and reading Mike Farrell, especially since we started the show and realized that I will have to cover a little bit more recruiting and we're covering a little bit more recruiting than maybe I'm used to normally in my passive nature. Uh, but uh, Mike, per Mike Farrell from Rivals said around 85% of the Hurricanes class is from South Florida and Manny Diaz is killing it. That's a direct quote from Mike Farrell. Well, the point is, the point that I wanted to make to it is, yes, it was a little bit of a rib to you because that's your boy and, and he is pretty, but uh, that doesn't necessarily translate to being a good football coach. Uh, but that's key in Florida, and that's what Jimmy Johnson did, and that's what uh, uh, the Schnellenberger did to turn that program around. That's a small school, 3,500 kids at that school, a private school. People don't really know that all, uh, all that often. Right. Uh, but to get 85, 85% of his players right from there, Carroll City, uh, Miami Northeast, I was talking about Immokalee the other day. Man, they, they just – there's a lot of talent down there. And if they can keep half of those kids or 85% of those kids that are three, four, maybe even touch a five-star in Miami, and they, if they can coach them up now, that's a big if because they, they've perennially got a lot of players from that area. If they can coach them up, the, the U might be back pretty soon <laughs> oh ooh, ooh, i'm scared um, <laughs> uh, well here's what i was gonna say i did read something and i don't remember the name so you know as beef said we're just getting back into recruiting or for me getting into it for a long time i didn't talk about recruiting because it was so frustrating right he's going here he's going there he's going somewhere tomorrow he's you know i've committed quote to six schools um, <laughs> uh, but I read the other day with the with Miami's latest commitment, a highly ranked defensive back. I think we talked about him last week. That there was a five star, and I noticed this when I looked at the the first guy, the other guy. There was a five star who wasn't considering Miami, but he was from that area. I don't remember exactly Miami, but the general area, as you mentioned, that now was reconsidering that he could be part of the class. So. You know, this is the old this is the old CJ Spiller deal, right? Hey, it's it's okay to go to Clemson. You know, I, I'm a big star and I can go to Clemson. So maybe it's trending back towards Miami, and maybe they're going to have a class that even Manny Diaz can't screw up. <laughs> That's yet to be seen, but we'll we will see. I do have a little breaking news too that I just got off the wire a moment ago, just to kind of surprise you. But, uh, of course, again, Clemson-centric, but they just got a commitment, a verbal commitment from a four-star four star offensive lineman, Dietrich Pennington. Uh, I haven't watched a thing on him and didn't even know he had an offer. So, it, it, But he's a line, another lineman coming to, to Death Valley. So. Nice, a four-star too, huh? Four-star from 24-7, number nine offensive guard in the nation and the number one player from Tennessee. And we, we thought the breaking news was – going to be the ACC schedule, but actually you did have breaking news. Um, it came across my phone and I was like, oh, I could, we're talking recruiting. I could bring that up. Very, very cool. Uh, so two, four stars in two days, not bad. And you know, well, that was going to, that was going to be one of my, one of my things to talk about. I kind of had it as a mental note is that Clemson seems to run in cycles, right? They'll get two, three in a week and then go four months with nothing. And then, Another one here and another one there in two months without anything. So uh seems like we're on a good cycle right now, or at least Clemson is. Definitely. And and I did like I said, I didn't even know. I think this kid got lost in, in the mix here because everyone was so excited. Uh, and he's a lineman, so maybe you don't get nearly as excited for an offensive lineman, but you're getting the number one player out of Tennessee. That's another thing that Dabo's just going into another neighboring state and just being like, Yeah, I'll take him. You know, T. Higgins and Amari Rogers say hello too, um, but it's it's he got lost in the mix because yesterday everyone's talking Peyton Page, Peyton Page, Peyton Page, all excited about this kid. Dietrich uh, Pennington got lost in it, so, but that's another steal for them. Hey, those are two big gets because I'm I'm I don't know much about uh, recruiting, but what I do know is you can't have enough offensive linemen and you can't have enough defensive linemen because they get hurt all the time. You know, all that weight on those joints and things happen in the trenches and knees and elbows and arms and whatever else. And uh, they get hurt all the time. And 
as I understand it, again, not a recruiting guru, I understand that offensive line is a hard one to judge and rate. And, you know, somebody's three-star may turn out to play 12 years in the NFL, you know, or two-star. So, yeah, Zach Martin, probably one of the best guards in the NFL from Notre Dame, was a was a I think a two star recruit for them. So um, I could be wrong there, but I know he wasn't the five star all, right. all world recruit. Played with uh, Mike Golick Jr. Uh, out there in Notre Dame, but he's now probably the best highest paid guard in the country, in the world, or whatever in the NFL. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's a hard. It's it's such a crapshoot with them. You probably have more of a chance with the quarterbacks, the running backs, the receivers. Even the defensive players, too. So. Hey, something you put on the list, and we, we had this as a subject in case we uh, had a few extra minutes, so let's let's give this a talk. High school seniors skipping their senior season, if the season is canceled, we're finding out now that college football players are now doing this trend, uh, not with canceled seasons, but they're skipping college to work out for the NFL because they don't want to participate in this, a COVID-ravaged season for one reason or another. Um, and you mentioned Corey Foreman's doing this, and uh, I think it was Tony Grimes at UNC who's skipping his senior season of high school to enroll in uh, UNC. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Ryan Linthicum is another one, the number one center in the country that's committed to Clemson. He's going to be skipping right. his senior season because of Maryland. There's it, it, When I sent it to you last week, it was kind of only a couple people – that were on this list. Now it seems like it's going to be commonplace. A lot of kids, uh, I say a lot of kids, but there's a bunch of kids that are going to transfer to IMG Academy or schools like that, that know that they're going to be playing somewhat of a schedule, uh, whether or not it's national or, or even in Florida. I know IMG generally plays national schedule, but I, I, what other choice do they have? I think I hemmed and hawed on this early when I, when I sent it to you, just, wow, this is weird that they're going to be, it's that same conversation you and I had a couple of weeks ago that how are they going to enroll early into school if they're not finished with high school? They have two weeks like Grimes did has two weeks to finish a semester of high school. But like you said, he could have been ahead getting a couple, um, a couple classes is all he needed, but it's now seemingly the trend. This is if they're not going to IMG and how many kids can IMG possibly take, <laughs> you know, and, and actually play. And, and so um, it, it's going to be the trend with states like Maryland, states like Virginia, West Virginia also lessen their schedule for high school sports. Uh, I just I, I think it's going to be the norm now. I mean, of course, they're going to sit out if they move this if they move the season to the spring and they graduate in December and they were planning to enroll early. Yeah, they're going to do maybe even a center like Linthicum who's going to Clemson, who knows he's probably going to redshirt. Why not get on campus this semester early? So maybe you avoid that redshirt. Um, I've flip flopped in the, in the week since I've sent this to you, but I think it's probably the right move. Now a kid like Corey Foreman, my last point here, my kid like Corey Foreman, we don't know where he's going yet. And the fact that he can't get on campus, they're saying that visits are a big thing and he, and he can't take any. Um, whether or not it's USC or Oregon or even Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, whoever's in the mix from LSU, uh, you know, that'll be the, the interesting part, I guess, for a player like him where you don't even know where he's going with. For a kid like Grimes, a kid like uh, Linthicum, you know where they're going. And, and if they were early enrollees anyway, they were, they were going to be there in December. So it's not that big a deal as I initially thought. Well, here's, here's the – thing that I thought about when I read the Linthicum story and almost said the I word, by the way, um, here's, here's the thing that I thought about the thing that I thought about. If you read that story that, uh, I think I posted in the uh, discussion group is that high schools were recruiting him, right? High schools that were going to have seasons are now recruiting high schoolers who aren't going to have seasons. And I was the first thought is, is that ethical? Is it legal? I, you know, so many thoughts, but this has been such a crazy year. I just kind of went, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, okay. A high school guy is getting recruited by other high schools. I'm like, okay. I, I, just, just weird. Just weird stuff is happening. In that is funny. That's, that is funny because it's a big thing back where I live in New Jersey. It, 
that everyone, and they made a big deal about it, but in, in North Jersey, I was talking about it a couple of weeks ago about how North Jersey, the parochial schools are the ones that are the top teams in the, in the state. And the public schools complained forever because the private schools were in public school conferences. So you'd, you'd have like four or five public schools and then play a, a parochial. Uh, they've, they've since switched it. So now it's all the parochial schools are playing against each other and it, they're the higher leagues, blah, 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 blah. I say that to say the public schools always claimed that uh, private schools recruited. That was always the thing. And I remember my high school coach from the school that I went to, which was uh, a basketball power in New Jersey for quite some time, used to say, well, I'm not going to seventh and eighth grade CYO basketball leagues to tell kids to come to my school. And if I recruited this six, three pudgy dude, wouldn't be my biggest guy. So it, I, it, there's, it takes some, it, it's interesting. God, I, now I'm thinking about it every time. Do I owe a dollar? Uh, but it is, it is kind of funny now because ethics, I guess, is out the window with COVID-19. I mean, why not ask a kid if he wants to come to your school and pay? Because most of these are private schools anyway that these kids are trying to come to. Um, IMG recruits anyway. They, they do. They ask you to come. So that is recruiting by the letter of the law. Uh, but these other private schools, like some kids leave in Arkansas to play in uh, California, I think I saw. And right. how how is that happening? Because they're probably not moving the family, right? So it's probably just the kid who's going to move in with the head coach. Who knows? There's a lot of logistics that aren't that, that I need to know, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> I need to know, and I don't. I think that yeah. you pretty much summed up my life right there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey, Beef, did you know we had a store with Sluggo gear in it out there? What? webs. Yeah. I do. We do. We do. And uh, you sent me a, a really cool picture that I'm going to put probably right in this spot uh, of Slider Cregan uh, in his Sluggo shirt. And you too can, whoever you are, can order a Sluggo shirt or phone case or mask uh, whatever you want we got it in that store but i uh, i don't want to see beef in the spandex sluggo pants <laughs> all you got to do is go to teespring.com backslash stores backslash sluggo dash store and i'll put that in the show notes and i'll put it up on the screen somewhere around this area on the podcast and check it out support us we have a uh, high hopes for a live show at some point and reality hit us in the face. Live shows are not free, and we are not rich. Um, <laughs> so uh, help us out with the Sluggo store. I'll put a, as I said, I put a uh, link in the show notes, and um, just help us out. Make a few bucks yeah. each transaction. It's kind of, it's kind of. Uh, I'm not sure the right word, but yes, I bought a shirt for my son. And so I'm paying myself to pay myself. <laughs> so it, it's kind of didn't really work out in my favor, but uh, I paid whatever the money was for a four T shirt for my two year old to, to make what three bucks, whatever it was, to, whatever the margin was. But uh, yeah, but it's a, it's great stuff. High quality shirts. Marty's got one on right now. Mine's waiting in the front of my house. When I get back to New Jersey, can't wait for it. Uh, I'll have it on next week. Not, not one of my, <laughs> Clemson players on, on a shirt for, of an NFL team, but uh, it is good stuff. And there's, there's all sorts of stuff. There's hoodies. Uh, there's, there's, uh, I think we're going to probably work on some polos and things in the future. So we're going to add to it, no doubt, but there's a lot of everything that you need performance shirts, anything that you need is on there currently now. And it does definitely help us currently uh, try to get live shows and bring you great content. And that's really what our goal is here. Yeah, we're we're uh, we realize we're not going to get rich, and that wasn't our intent. Our intent was to be two guys talking college football, which we love, and we'll continue to do whether anybody buys a shirt or not. Anybody besides Casey, that is. <laughs> Obviously, I bought one too. <laughs> so, if anybody buys a shirt or not, we'll still do the show. But there's some improvements we'd like to make down the line once we figure out what we're doing, which should be about November. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, though, Marty, for the live show that we're talking about doing. I know we're going to test it and see how it is, but it's going to be interactive, too, right? We're going to have a, a way to to get oh, yeah. some listeners maybe in to send us some questions, which is which is really exciting to me. And that's awesome. We can use our Facebook and seldom use reserve network there to get out there to, to make it interactive. And we want to hear from folks. We want to hear from you. 
and ask, ask questions, ask dumb questions. We'll go out on limbs. That's what I told him from the start. I'm going out on limbs this year, which is not in my personality. I'm going to make hot takes that are going to be wrong, and I love it, and I'll eat crow, and I, I can't wait for it. You mean, I, I think I just got the, the show title, Ask Dumb Guys Dumb Questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you mean like your hot take on Lincoln Riley that I was going to talk about this week, but we'll save that for next week. Perfect. I, I broke down some numbers on the Oklahoma quarterbacks that I think you'll find interesting. I did. Ah, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> you almost got through the whole show. And this, this, is how, uh, this is how good our college football discussion group on Facebook is. I typed out that word, and somebody dinged me for it right away. <laughs> this <laughs> afternoon saying, huh, nice choice of words, right? So that's how it goes for me. Hey, Beef, we'll close it out tonight. I know it's been a long couple of days for you with Slaughter Cregan, uh, reminding you what it's like to be the father of a two-year-old. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, I've been there, and uh, yeah, I've been there. So don't miss that part of it. But hey, I can tell you what, you'll get through it. Then it'll be projectile vomiting on you. You'll get through that. <laughs> All that time where he's sick every day, he goes to school and gets sick. And then it'll all get better. He'll be like Parker. He'll be 13 or 14, and you'll be talking sports with him. It'll be all worth it, buddy. It, it's all worth it now as much as we're having. Uh, it's only been a couple days, but we're, we're, we're good. He's just not sleeping. He doesn't think he wants to play all night, which is what a boy should do, right? But, yeah, we're, we're good. We're good. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, I'll be honest with you. All right. Hey, Beef, have uh, Producer Amy take us out. Producer Amy. How do we do tonight? I think that sounds pretty good. Welcome into a special edition of the Sluggo podcast and show. Today I have a special guest. Casey and I have talked about him often on the podcast and the show. And sitting with me today is my almost 14-year-old son. Can't believe I'm saying that. Parker Coleman. Parker, welcome into the show. Welcome. This is my show now. This is his show now, he says. Parker, as I said, is almost 14, and he wanted to talk about the 2000, the craziness of the 2007 college football season, which, as his dad, I found interesting because he was only a year old then. But he loves to look at historical facts about sports and historical seasons. When I told him Casey and I were doing a college football podcast, he offered to talk about the crazy 2007 season, which many people remember for one game that happened in in week one, but a lot of other crazy stuff happened. So, Parker, why don't you start off talking about what you want to talk about the 2007 college football season? The easiest way to do this is in chronological order of what happens. Now, as my dad pointed out, most people just know this for Appalachian State upsetting Michigan 34 to 32. After this, Michigan went from being a top-five team and a championship contender to falling completely out of the top 25. They lost to Oregon by 32 the next week and only went 9-4 and in the season, not even getting close to winning the championship that they were talking about. And if I remember correctly, I don't know how much you studied that game, but Michigan actually had a chance to win to kick a field goal, Yeah, right? and, they, and they blocked it, and they yeah. almost took it back to the end zone. Yeah. But – and this was, as I did my research, because I knew you, this game was going to come up, uh, Appalachian State was only the second FCS team to ever beat a ranked FBS team, and they were the first FCS, FCS team to beat a top five uh, FBS team. Michigan was ranked number five when they played. Yeah. Most people just know 2007 from that, but a lot of other stuff happens. We go to week two, a minor upset. South Carolina upsets number 11, ranked at that time, Georgia, 16 to 12. Week week three, number nine, Louisville gets upset by Kentucky, 40 to 34. And Andre Woodson touchdown to Steven Johnson with 28 seconds left is what gave Kentucky the win. Also, another fun note, Mike Gundy's come at me, I'm a man, I'm 40 happened somewhere around this time. Oh, really? I didn't even know that. So that means he's a man. He's 53 or so now. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there are a couple of other rants from um, head coaches, like Fat Little Girlfriends or something Uh, like that. Mike Leach and the Fat Little Girlfriends. And there was another one I forgot, but I think Fat Little Girlfriends was 2007. I think it was uh, the Colorado coach 
who talked about um, uh, this in intramurals. Mm -hmm. I can't remember it. Dan Hawkins, uh, I think his name was. So this in intramurals, this is Division One football or something like this that. This is Division One football, brother, or something to that effect. Um, then in week four, we see Michigan again upset number 10 Penn State 14 to 9, despite their week one upset and um, apparently a lot of stuff going on in the locker room. They still came together and Penn State would end up falling apart and they would also end up going nine and four in the season. So they went from being top 10 to not really being ranked, if I remember correctly. I think the coaches had them as number 25, but the actual poll didn't. So there were nine upsets. For top 25 teams in weeks two through four, which is somewhat normal for college football. But in week five, eight top 25 teams lost on their own. And half of them were top 10 and three of them were top five. Rutgers, who was number 10, lost to Maryland. Casey's not going to like Rutgers losing. <laughs> well, he has to get used to it because of what's sort of become of their football program. Uh, South Florida, West Virginia, South Florida won 21-13. Unranked Auburn beat Florida, number four Florida, 20-17. And then Colorado beat number three Oklahoma, 27-24. South Florida is one of the first stories we'll talk about. Their first, foot, their first football game was in 1997, and they even made, they, I'm pretty sure in 2000 was their first time being in Division One, And I'm... I'm almost 100% sure they've never been ranked before. They were number 18 when they beat number five, West Virginia. And now this is sort of like a Cinderella story. And did you know that their first team meeting was under a tree? No, I didn't. And they really didn't have any football facilities when they first started out. So for them to go from right there to 10 years later being ranked in Division One, that they really improved a lot. It was a big story at the time. I remember they kept saying how this team was, um, it was a great place to start a program. It was in Florida where a lot of the recruits were, blah, 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 blah. So LSU and USC, they're the number one and number two teams by the time we reach week six. LSU is playing Florida, Tim Tebow. They were, LSU and USC were undefeated, but USC was playing Stanford. Stanford went 1-11 the year before, and they were 1-3 this year. USC was favored by 41, and they won 42-0 in 2006. Also, it was the Stanford's backup quarterback that was playing, as their starting quarterback had a seizure the week before, and he was ruled out. And Richard Sherman, the Richard Sherman, was playing wide receiver, and part of what happened, how Stanford won, was it was like 4th and twenty. And Richard Sherman caught a pass, and it was in the inside of the ten. And then they ended up scoring a touchdown a few plays later. Now I knew I knew that uh, it was a forty-one point favorite because I have that in my notes. But did you also know Southern Cal had a thirty-five game home winning streak and a twenty-four game Pac-12 winning streak going into this game? Forty-one point favorite. <laughs> yeah, this might be one of the most underrated, shocking upsets of all time. Like, can you imagine how much somebody made who bet on Stanford winning? Assuming anybody did. Yeah, I, I don't know if they did, but if someone did, they're probably sitting pretty right now. Despite a USC upset, going into week seven, USC was still top 10. But California was now number two because of a touchback against Oregon in week five, which is how they won. This is the highest Cal had been ranked since 1951. With LSU losing in triple overtime, this week Cal had a chance to become number one. Even though their starting QB was ruled out like 10 minutes before the game, they are playing Oregon State. Oregon State was 3-3. Three and three. Now, that's not bad, but when, it's, when you have to almost be undefeated to have a chance at a championship, 3-3 three and three is not that good. In the third quarter, Oregon State would stop California on the one-yard line three times. Later, Cal would lose by a field goal, 31-28. to 28. And if I remember correctly, their, their quarterback – could have just thrown the ball out of bounds and it would have been they would have been able to kick a field goal but he didn't and that's partially why they lost i talked about how michigan fell apart after their upset after they got upset by appalachian state as this will be some of the stuff that's edited out easy for you to say right <laughs> but after starting five and oh california would finish six and six wow and um this is all because they wouldn't throw their quarterback wouldn't throw the ball to bounds, and they got stopped on the one yard line like three times. Week eight. Now this is where the polls get interesting. 
Kansas is 13. Hawaii is 18. Kentucky is number seven. Arizona is number eight. It got crazier as Boston College was number three, quarterbacked by Matt Ryan, who is most famous for blowing a 25-point lead in the Super Bowl. I've got some crazy stats on the rankings from this year that 13 years later in 2020, you go, really? That's kind of strange. And South Florida had risen all the way up to number two. And you're going to notice a trend here with the upsets that is kind of weird. But number two, South Florida playing Rutgers, they would lose by a field goal. At fourth and 37, they had one last chance, but it was picked off. They lost two more one-score games after this, and they disappeared pretty quickly. And I don't think that they have been ranked that high ever since. Yeah, some of the weird stuff I wanted to talk about, and I don't know if I'm going to step on you, but you mentioned a couple of them, so I'll say this. The weird number twos. Now, we're talking in 2020, this is weird. And I don't really remember. I remember South Florida, and I remember a game I'm going to talk about in a minute. But all these teams were number two at one point in the year. California. South Florida. They lost while they were number two. Not yes. just not just they were number two at one point or they Good point. They were raised up to number one or they fell to like number three or number four. They were all number two when they lost. Great, great point. Um, Boston College, as you mentioned, and maybe you'll get to this one in a little while. West Virginia was number two when they got upset by Pitt. All they had to do was beat Pitt and they'd have gone to the BCS championship game, but they couldn't even beat Pitt. And final thing I'll say. The weirdest number one I've seen on this whole list, sometime during that year, Missouri was ranked number one we'll until be, they lost. We'll be getting to that. Boston College and Virginia Tech. Dad mentioned Boston College. or Did he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. Uh, they were number two this week. And after not scoring the whole game, Boston College got a touchdown, and they succeeded in an onside kick. Trying to force overtime, Matt Ryan tried to put them in field goal range. But he did a little more than that. He got them a last-second touchdown, and Boston College looked like they had snapped the number two curse until the next week. They would lose to Florida State. I typed this down, Robin. It said that Boston College won, but Boston College lost to Florida State. And also, Boston College would lose to Maryland the next week. They're not – even though we know that LSU had two losses and they won, this is basically – most of the times, it looks like after a number two team loses, they don't just lose, they collapse. This happened with Flor- uh, South Florida, happened with Boston College, happened with Cal. Um, also this week, Ohio State, got, who was number one, got upset by unranked Illinois. This was the first time Illinois beat a number one team uh, since 1956. Oh. So that's just... A lot of crazy upsets. I can't really imagine Illinois beating Ohio State anytime soon, but maybe that's just because Ohio State's Ohio State. Well, then the next week, Oregon quarterback Dennis Dixon. Mm-hmm. I forgot his name was Dennis for a second. He got injured in the first quarter, and Oregon's chances were blown. This would be the fifth number two seed to lose in seven weeks. Then we go to week 13. LSU loses in triple overtime again. Missouri and Kansas. I saw a video, and apparently this football rivalry goes back to before cars were invented in, like, the 1800s. No, Parker, went around then. <laughs> um, but Kansas had never been this ranked as high. Missouri hadn't even been ranked as high as number four since about 1960. So can you imagine Missouri and Kansas playing for their own destiny to see if they could win a college football championship? Even though... A few things, they had a little snafus here and there. Kansas still had a chance to win. They were down 34-28, to and then a safety for Missouri. And this would end the game, basically, as time was running out. And the final score would be 36-28. to Kansas, number two, lost. And this is the year, if I remember correctly, and you may or may not know this. I don't want to see your notes. That Kansas actually won the Orange Bowl. I believe. I believe this is that year. You wouldn't think of it now because of how bad Kansas is, but this is the year they were really good under Mark Mangino and actually won the Orange Bowl. Mark Mangino, I saw a crazy stat about him. He was like 25 and 35 before 2007, 
as Kansas coach, and he was 11-0 up until this game. Um, week 14, here's Pitt in West Virginia. West Virginia, they I heard there is like some stuff going on in their locker rooms and no one would get excited on the sidelines. They just seemed like they didn't want to be there. And all Pitt needed was 13 points, I guess. <laughs> Another upset. Listen to this stat. From, t- from 1996 to 2006, only four times had had both a one and a two team lost in the same week. The last eight weeks of this season happened three times alone. This is a little, this is, that's kind of crazy that there are that many upsets, especially for number two seeds. But all West Virginia had to do was win that game and they would go to the championship game. I don't remember the point spread, but it was big. All they had to do was score 14 points. (laughs) (laughs) They couldn't do that. And your other your stat you mentioned the stat I found I think it's the same as yours number one and number two had not lost in the same week since 1986 so we're talking eleven years but it happened three times in 2007 including the final two weeks of the regular season and the other stat I found and I'll let you finish up the number team number two team lost seven times in the final nine weeks of this yes. season. That was basically an extension of the stat I said, where uh, by week 11, five number two teams had lost in seven weeks. So you basically just took it to the end of the season. Right. Now, if a fan of college football who knows what's going on right now, like what teams are good, they looked at this, they'd be like, oh, LSU and Ohio State, that's sort of normal. I don't know why it's so, it's so weird for them to be matched up. LSU had two losses, first of all. Both of them were in triple overtime, which is kind of crazy. Like, you know how many games go to triple overtime for college football? And you know, and then losing twice and still being in the championship? LSU would beat Ohio State 34, or I'm sorry, 38-24, and they would win. This looks very normal to a fan who doesn't know anything about the college football about 2007. But if you go in and look at all of the rankings and the upsets, this is a very. This is probably the craziest, weirdest, maybe even most exciting college football season ever. I mean, if you just want upsets where the underdog wins, this is your this is your season. So the year started out with uh, Michigan losing to Appalachian State, and it ended up with a two loss team winning <laughs> the national championship. First time in a while. I forgot exactly. It might might have been the first time ever, but I know it was the first time in a while. It was just a crazy and bizarre season. And I wanted to go over those stats one more time. Um, The weird number twos were really, you know, in 2007, they were probably, it was normal. I really don't recall. I recall some of them, but not all of them. Number twos that lost, Cal. Cal was number two. Never think of many years. South Florida was number two. Boston College was number two. West Virginia was number two. Missouri at one point was number one and lost. You had a two-loss national champion. The number two team lost seven times in the final nine weeks. And all that started with Michigan uh, losing to Appalachian State. I can still remember we're at the first house where you were born over in Cates Cove. And you weren't born there, but first house that you lived in. That was where we were. Over on Cates Cove. And I can still remember watching that game saying, oh, they got a chance. They're just going to they're gonna win it. After all that, Appalachian State's going to lose and they block that field goal. So I could come back on and talk about Georgia Tech and Cumberland because that that's a whole that could be a whole one hour podcast on its own with all the stuff that was well, going on that game. You're always welcome to come on the podcast. Casey and I hope to have you on on the video version of the podcast instead of this special edition. Want to get you broken in, get you used to talking to large numbers of people. We've had seven thousand seven hundred and seventeen viewers and listeners. The trick is not to think about those 7,717 <laughs> people. Well, we're getting you ready for that debate team you're going to be on in, in uh, high school where you have to hold up your end of the argument and just not say, I'm right, and walk away like an eighth grader, right? All right, Parker, thank you very much for coming on. I know the, the folks out there appreciate this. They're college football lovers, and for Parker to be interested in – a college football season that he was actually one year old when it happened. That's that warms my heart. He cares about the history and the, uh, the fun, crazy facts. So all those hours you spent on YouTube aren't wasted. Yeah. That's where I get most of my facts actually. 
Yeah. And by the way, I don't know if everybody out there knows it. Parker is the reason that we do video with our podcast now because I watched him every day watch videos. And I thought, well, maybe he's watching videos of games like I would watch. No, he'll watch a video of a guy talking just like you guys watch Casey and I doing that. So young, young, uh, the younger folks prefer video, even if it's a video of someone talking, right, Parker? Yeah, and they have highlights also. Yeah. But we put some, I throw some stats up there and other stuff to keep it a little interesting so you don't have to look at this face all night long. Thanks, Parker. Thank you. And that's it for this special episode of the Slogo <laughs> Podcast featuring Parker Coleman. Parker will be back on the regular podcast sometime uh, soon, hopefully. For Georgia Tech and Cumberland. 222 to